Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. And uh, today I got across from me, uh, George. What's up, George? Hey, Mike. What's going on? Hey, so today we are focused on not every podcast has to be long form as far as like a two, three hour podcast. Every once in a while, we could have a podcast that's a shorter podcast addressing some things that are going on in society. You know, I did that tactical review podcast last episode. A lot of good. Oh, sorry, I am choking on Killcliff right now. <laughs> I, I've just chugged uh, Killcliff. Um, anyways, I digress. I uh, did the tactical review uh, podcast, which, if you haven't uh, listened to that one, it's episode one, two, three. It's the last episode. That podcast is something I'll do periodically based on what's going on in the world, talking about tactical situations, how it relates to policy. Uh, your gun rights, your individual rights, etc., and uh, flush out some of the tactics, techniques, and procedures that need to be update, updated. Because, you know, a tact- the tactical space or tactics period change with time and uh, are shaped or should be shaped based off what the bad guys are doing. So we want to periodically do those. So we did that. Great success. And then uh, leading into this podcast, I got a whole bunch of questions because of that tactical review podcast. So I wanted to address some of those today. Talk about the outside magazine um, that was just published. Uh, I think it was Drew Pogue. His last name is actually Pogue. P-O-P-O-G-G-E. Um, and his article that says basically, if you carry a firearm as a hiker, you're dumb. And so we're going to talk about those things. But first, I uh, just want to let you guys know this podcast is sponsored. And it's sponsored by KillCliff.com. I'm actually sipping on the Killcliff Recover. Uh, so is George. Uh, you know, my my favorite thing about Killcliff is one, they're official officially partnered with the Navy SEAL Foundation. They were, it was started by a SEAL. Uh, they're partnered with the Navy SEAL Foundation and help uh, active SEALs, veterans, the families uh, do good stuff. And um, in addition to that, you know, they have a natural uh, energy drink that doesn't have all the crap that's in uh, the energy drinks that you see now. And so this one that I'm, I'm, I'm sipping on has no sugar, 20 calories, all the B vitamins and electrolytes you need. It's post-recover because uh, we had a long run this morning, George. We did. We ran in the mountains today, which was very... We kind of got lost. Yeah, well, well let's... <laughs> we didn't get lost. We just, we just didn't know the trail, and we followed it out, and uh, we made it back to the car. Yeah, we turned a two-mile, uh, 30-minute trip into an hour-and-a-half, six-mile trip. Yeah. Just it just benefits us. We were testing our survival uh, resiliency and and what we would do when we got lost. Yeah, yeah. You told me to take a left. No, no, I no, took no, a no, right. no. Well, no. Yeah. We we just let's just agree to disagree and just say that you know we had a great time. We we talked. We held hands. <laughs> it was fun. It was great. It was fun. Okay, let's get to the questions. The Q and A. Oh, it, well, it, sorry. I'd, I'd uh, digressed a little bit, but killcliff.com, if you go to killcliff.com and use Philcraft 1-5, right? No, no, Survival 15. Survival 15? Yes. Did I say that wrong on every podcast? No, you had it. You, you've been saying it right. You sure? Yeah, because you asked me. Okay, Survival 15. My bad. Oh, it's okay. It, we have a lot of coupon codes out Kill there. Killcliff's changing it up? Yeah. Survival 1-5. Yep. Survival 15, you could say 15% on checkout, which is, which is awesome. 15% is a big deal. Anyways, moving on. I'm going to move into the Q&A and then uh, uh, talk about some of the questions that relate to you know me and you's experiences. If we can't answer them, uh, we'll digress and then 
you know, hand it off to somebody who might know it at a latter time. But let me see if I can go through this. This is all organic. We're just doing this off the cuff. But best martial arts for hand-to-hand combat in the worst-case scenario. What do you think? Mm, I would say for hand-to-hand, I would say some kind of like jujitsu or Krav Maga, something that when you go th- when you're starting that you you grab a hand because you want to have control of the wrist or the hands, mm-hmm. and that they have a weapon. So I think that you know something like that kind of martial arts would I think would benefit more than some, let's say a traditional karate or something like that. Yeah, from my experience taking taekwondo and even kung fu and a whole bunch of martial arts growing up as arts uh, of the martial. Uh, <laughs> why is it called martial arts? I don't know. That's so weird. Um, anyways, uh, for stand up, I look at. Thai kickboxing because yeah. it gives you good uh, stand-up tactics in uh, your hands and your legs. Let's just which say getting benefit. kicked in the leg hurts. Yeah, if you it's, it if hurts. you tie kick somebody in the legs on the streets, dude, you're taking people out. Yeah, you are. You're that, they're they're not walking. They're not. I mean, if you look at the biggest MMA fighters, um, you know, even early UFC when there was no weight classes. There was dudes that were huge getting broken down by getting kicked by uh, Thai kickboxers or people who were uh, MMA-type guys. But, yeah, stand-up Thai, and then I would say jiu-jitsu as a, uh, uh, a practical way to develop your ground game is important. Now, you didn't ask me about MMA, so I'm not going to give you that answer, but when it comes to specific martial arts that you can kind of diversify to make your own, especially in self-defense for the worst case, then that would be the 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 pat, the the way of the future. Um, what are your future plans for Modern Mindset three six five? Well, uh, you know, Modern Mindset three six five is my personal podcast. You know, Philcraft Survival is a company podcast. I started Modern Mindset three six five to kind of extract the mindset mindset aspect uh, and isolate it because it's one of those things that's very important in the overall kind of resi- or developing your resiliency uh, to survive. And so that's kind of my pet project. And sometimes I go a couple of weeks without posting a podcast. But when I do, it's because I have the time and then I'm, I'm really focused on the content. And so the, the future plans are, you know, creating more time to do more podcasts. That's a passion of mine. Interviewing subject matter experts, uh, especially in mindset, is, is the future for me. What did you enjoy most out of SF compared to the conventional army? I hand that over to you. Uh, just to get your take on it too, because so I was psyop obviously, and um, you know, I spent every day of my life as a psyoper, and I am so grateful for that that I didn't have to go to the regular army. It's just a different, yeah. Part of psychological operations is part of special operations. Yeah, we're right? under the umbrella. We're the kind of the you belong to USASOC. Yep, USASOC childs of yeah. But uh, I've I've known a lot of guys that were in conventional and just hearing their stories. I, I just I, I I'm. I'm happy I didn't have to do do that stuff because it just sounded like it sucked most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Same here. Like, uh, you know, SF, if you haven't spent time in the regular army, you don't really appreciate SF. And that's kind of my only complaint for 18 X-rays is it's not their fault, but they don't have a lot of military experience coming off the streets in their individual life experience and then serving. Um what I realize is if you served in the regular army and then you were in SF, you appreciated SF more. So when we were doing stuff that that seemed like it was uh, mundane or just like uh, administratively checking blocks, 
um, you appreciated the SF experience and like, hey, this isn't so bad because in the regular army, you were basically in janitorial services. I thought my MOS was jan- being a janitor. I was very good at buffing floors in the infantry. Um, anyways, next one. Best weapon system for those in Cali or places where people can't have an AR-15? My choice is going to be Glock 19 because I know Glock 19 is on the list in Cali where you could have it. Like you can't have a Glock 43 in Cali unless you're LEO, yeah. which is insanity. It doesn't make any sense. It's so dumb. Like it's, it, <laughs> I, would, I would not want to have a Glock 19 on the list if... If that's the case, because yeah, I, you know it. Yeah, it's the same gun. It's just a smaller, compact yeah, version. That's of all it. it is. It's all politics, man. Can you it's have so um, stupid? A, what, what rifles can't you have in AR-15s? Uh, so you could have the what was it, the M14 or what was well, you, the? Uh, you could have a you could have a, a mini 14, but yeah. it can, it, but there's a magazine capacity restriction. Oh yeah, that's and right. then you can have an AR-15, but it has to be built out like a space gun. Yeah. Literally looks like it. Space <laughs> I just balls. don't get it. I don't get it. It's, it's I, a spaceballs gun. Yeah. It's like the space gun that. Spaceballs made fun of. It's like of. the anti-gun. It's an anti-gun. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's like you would be better off getting in a gunfight with a musket. Yeah, it's confused. That gun is confused. It's so confused. It's uh, you know, it's like it's a going through a self-identity crisis. Yeah. It's like uh, what is that weird sex identity? It's uh, um, what is that one? There's one that's weird. Uh, gender fluid. Yeah. It's gender fluid. It could be whatever it wants to be, yeah, whatever exactly. it feels like it. Um, if you could change anything in the army software, what would you change and why? Huh. Ooh, that's a good one. I already one. know mine. You want me to answer mine first? Yeah. I would get rid of static airline or uh, static airborne operations. Yeah. I'd make it's it, a waste of money. It is. It is. Let's it's just be waste. honest. I, I did it for 20 years. and Yeah. It's a waste. I mean, I got the opportunity to, to jump in with the Rangers, but other than that, I just... Well, my whole thing is... I don't see. We spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year... In, in, a, in uh, maintaining the proficiency. Mm-hmm. But here's an idea. If we think we're going to jump into combat, let's just do it. Like people who went, th- w- like retain basic airborne training. You don't have to be very efficient. You can get a four-hour block of instruction and be airborne qualified, and that's how it works, anyways, right? Yeah. So here's here's my little snippet of that. So early on oh, in my career, well, let, let's just get context. Both of us are static airborne jump masters. Yes. Just for, and I'm a halo jump master. Just for static. Just for uh, the conversation. So I did a year called training with industry. I got to basically I was in a student detachment down in Fort Jackson. I worked in Raleigh at WRAL, which is a, which is a news yeah thing. like yeah. WRAL news. Uh, Civilian news organization. Yep. So when I got back, I had to go through, when I got back to Bragg after my year, I got had to go through basic airborne refresher. And in the class, they had about 50 students. And the cadre there asked about, okay, who hasn't jumped in 20 years? I think one person raised their hand. 15 years, a couple people raised their hand. 10, you know, just sporadic people raising their hand. So you're telling me. And After then how 20 long years of jumping, <laughs> yeah. I go through a half a day of refresher, and I am good to go. And then you, yeah, mass. Come pack. on, man! Like, yeah, no. Well, that's that's a good that's point in case. The point in case is when you get qualified by regulation. Now they just do a half day airborne refresher. What's called bar? Yeah, basic airborne bar. refresher. If you're out of like, if you don't jump yeah. in a certain amount of time, you go to bar for a half a day. You and then you jump, and that's it. You jump. So let's get rid of all the aircraft, all the fuel cost, all the all the proficiency, and then when it comes time to actually jump, and hey, we're planning an airborne operation. All right, start doing bar. Yeah, and get prepped, and then do it. Yep. 
and then and then look statistically at the units like you jump with Ranger Regiment in Afghanistan that are most likely to do an airborne operation, and then maybe maintain their efficiency. Like mm-hmm. I don't think Ranger. I think Ranger Regiment should be on airborne status and Halo status with RRC Ranger yep. uh, Regimental or Ranger Regimental Ranger or what is it? It's uh, or was it Ranger Reconnaissance yeah, Company? There you go. Yeah, I, it's, sorry, I'm all jacked up. Um, but yeah, if you if you maintain uh, proficiency that way, you'll save the military millions of dollars, and then you could focus that million those millions of dollars on things that kind of matter more. Yeah, and then you're not going to be getting like hurting people or breaking people. Yeah, I, me and you are you broken know, yeah, more than likely because of hail free or uh, free fall and static line jumping jumping. Yep. All right, John Stryker Meyer's books worth a read? Never. You ever read that? No. Never okay. Heard next of question. Are most guys you have worked with, and I'm reading these cold, so if they're just weird, it's not my not my fault. Are most guys you have worked with scared of heights? Is it normal to be scared but still want airborne? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What What's weird is I was more comfortable with free fall because in free fall you could jump from fifteen thousand feet and you don't have this perception that the ground's right there. And then when I was an SF guy doing static line because, you know, airfield seizures and stuff like that, and we're jumping from 800 feet, seeing the tops of trees. Yeah, it's not fun. Dude, that is not fun. But I, I didn't get, I never got nervous. Well, let me say, let me say I, I never got afraid to jump. I did, I mean, there's always that nervous pucker factor, but the one that, that freaks me out is Halo. I don't, I mean, obviously I, I, I would do it if I, you know, if I had to, but uh, just watching the videos, it's like a, when I'm riding a roller coaster, like my stomach I just don't know how you. It's just crazy to me. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I'm. It's it's common. I know a lot of guys are afraid of heights, but you quickly get over your fear of heights because you just got to do it. I mean, the the reality yeah. is, like obstacle courses. When I first started uh, in the infantry and did you know ranger school, we had obstacle courses, SF, all this stuff. We have these O courses. I'm not comfortable in those obstacles, but I realized like, hey, I got to get this done. Yep, I just got to do it. Any plans for bringing back the outside the waistband TQ holster or something similar for a battle rattle range belt? Oh, I'm <laughs> glad you asked. Um, so yes, we are. We have uh, an outside the waistband tourniquet holder in the works right now, and it will be released more than likely at the end of summer, and it's going to be a big deal for us. Okay, uh, would there be any chance of being sponsored by Phil Craft Survival? Hmm. It kind of depends. Yeah, it kind of depends on what you bring to the table and and what your uh, I guess your skills are. Yeah. So so the sponsorship thing is a weird thing. It can be weird. Uh, people get weird with sponsorships because we have like an affiliate program, right? We have some people that we pay based on the amount of sales they bring, and we want to offer that incentive. But some people, for example, I'm not going to write a check for five dollars and thirty two cents a month to somebody. Yeah. Um, because it, 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 if they're not willing to do the sales and get the sales, then we kind of don't want those kind of affiliates. Um, in no offense, like it, you know, some people, they go to be an affiliate and they life changes cause they have a job and stuff. But what we typically don't do is sponsor people. And, you know, every once in a while we give free stuff like swag and equipment to people, you know, it just depends, but we don't ask anything. And I, I don't like asking for mm. stuff. And so if you're interested in like getting a, an affiliate or you're interested in getting free stuff and you have exposure or you're just a good dude or good woman and you want to we you want us to hook you up, contact us. We're not I mean, I'm not afraid of looking at that kind of stuff. I mean, so there's always considerations, but 
it's not hard for us to figure out. And we have like Owen Yeasting. Um, what a weird name. Yeah, right? Just Ye- sounds... Owen Yeasting. Sounds like an ingredient or something, you know? Yeah, it's like, hey, can cup, you... I need a cup of Owen Yeasting. Yeah, <laughs> we need... Yeah, cut back on the Owen Yeasting, and then you use like a jalapeno pepper to get rid of that Owen Yeasting t- taste. Wasn't it Wasn't it weird when we walked into a Bide Armory and Owen was standing right there? Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> I was like what, are what are you doing, doing here? here? Behind the counter. And he's like working. I'm like, all right, man. Um, but anyways, Owen, Owen is a sponsor shooter, and we provide him with ammo and you know give him swag and stuff. Because he represents our company at competitions. And he and, crushes it. And he's good. And, and people he, hate on him now. I know. Everybody hating on Owen, man. Yep. Uh, will you guys, guys ever host a multi-day overland trip in the future? Well, you know, we do have... I just set a date for August 10th, I believe. August 10th for our overland training. So if you go to mo- fieldcraftmobility.com, you can uh, sign up for a one-day survival uh, off-road training course where we teach you a little bit of first aid, a little bit of survival. We don't get down in the rabbit hole in anything and a little bit of off-road and recovery. And if you want to spend the night, then you can uh, spend the night because a lot of people bring their rigs and then they turn it into an adventure, you know, a weekend adventure. The, the only problem with the that co- that question or that um, uh, overland training trip is we kind of try to do it before, but we just don't get a lot of people that want to do it. Um, I would love to have like as a side thing um, a Jeep club or a Forerunner club or, or just an off-road club to get more people to to do that. Um, but yeah, what was working with SF support units like? Also, how do you get to those units? What was working with the SF support units like? What was working with the SF support units like? And also, how do you get to those units? You know, it really depends. I, I will tell you that that's, there's really good people and there's there's shit bags just like everywhere else in the army, uh, in those units. Uh, but for the most part, I've had good experiences. Not, I haven't had a lot of bad experiences. Um, and how do you get into those units? It, it, it depends a lot of, like if you get a sign, you don't have to go through a selection to get a sign. So if you get assigned to like third special forces group, you're a third special forces group guy or gal and you're a support person, but you have to, maintain like a PT standard, a uh, which is a unit thing. And then you have to maintain like airborne status, which comes up with a, you know, a set of a training and proficiency and everything else. So yeah. Thoughts on Evan Hafer and his prior service work uh, prior to BRCC. And did you work with him? So I've worked with Evan. Um, I can't talk about uh, the, the affiliation in which we worked on a podcast, but I know uh, BRCC Black Rifle Coffee Company, which, in addition to that, we're sponsored by Black Rifle Coffee Company. Um, you know, Black Rifle Coffee Company was started by Evan. They're a great company. Uh, they provide a lot of resources and support for different organizations, not just military, but different organizations. Um, they always try to give back, which I love about them, and I love their coffee. Uh, in fact, if you go to blackriflecoffeecompany.com or blackrifle.com, was it blackriflecoffee.com? Blackriflecoffee.com. Blackriflecoffee.com. You sure check that. Just make sure. Um, then you could use a coupon code, which is uh, PhilCraft20, PhilCraft20, and say 20%, which is really cool. I mean, I think I got that probably because I'm friends with Evan. But great company. I did work with him in special operations. And uh, yeah. Uh, you checking it now? What is it? It's blackriflecoffee.com. Blackriflecoffee.com. Thank you, George. You're welcome. 
It says, I'm in the reserves and I've been trying to get into a release for Active SF. Any way you could help? Sorry, Joe. I can't help you with that, dude. Uh, I have done that in the past, but uh, my inactive ready reserve time as a sergeant major has expired. So I just can't call people like I used to and be like, hey, this is Sergeant Major Glover, man. What's up? And uh, make, 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 uh, uh, do some favors over the phone. I will tell you that if you want to join uh, the reserve component of special operations, which is the National Guard 19th and 20th group, um, the best way to do that is get a hold of the recruiters. The recruiters from 19th and 20th will walk you through uh, that entire uh, protocol. Has spirituality played a role in your journey as a warrior? If so, how did it, does it guide you? What do you think, George? Um, I think it does. I mean, you always have those moments in your in your um, in your career that you where know, you're about to die, and then you're you about to die, and you know, help you. or if you're just going through something, you just kind of get like a deeper uh, or like a higher power or something. I wouldn't even go into like anything uh, spiritual or uh, like religious, but there's always a someone always has a you know. I think everyone should have like a higher power or something that they believe in that can guide them and kind of calm them or just give them the words of wisdom they need, but. I've had it a couple times, uh, you know, when you go through some shit. So, yeah, you, you when you're when you're in the military and you, you are exposed to a lot of different trauma in combat and war, um, you're going to get more spiritual. Even the guys, and and I define spirituality not necessarily as a religion, but a way in which you connect with your own individual spirituality. Like I wasn't a real religious guy in the military. But I do believe in God, uh, and I do believe in a, a, a higher um, uh, calling than myself, obviously. And that military service is part of that, a component in that. So a lot of the things that happen, depending on your belief system, um, really you, you kind of have to put those things in that spiritual hand, you know, for lack of a better um, way to describe it. Because a lot of things that go, you go through are out of your control. And, you know, if you get infiltrated on a, on a target set and things are going really bad and you're fighting for your life, you're not right there, right then thinking about, you know, hey, God bail me out of this situation. Yeah, I'm thinking about, you know, technical shooting. Yeah. And shoot, moving, communicate. Yeah. And, yeah. Making sure my boys are okay. But, but in, in hindsight, looking back at my career, it did play a significant role. Um, one instance, I remember when uh, we had some SAS guys that were killed and I remember the SAS commander talking and then offering prayers before the task force. We all went out and on got on helicopters and went and uh, killed a whole bunch of bad guys. And so those kind of moments existed. Uh, and obviously with losing friends in combat, uh, you become more connected with spirituality in whatever way it's defined for you. Best habits or preparedness aspects of getting ready for soft selection. What do you think, George? What's a, what's a good habit that you 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 uh, establish in your routine? I would say a, a regular workout routine. Like, just don't take a day off because you just don't feel like it. Just do something. Um, mindset is a big thing. I mean, you if you're not if your mind's not in it, you might as well just don't don't even try. Uh, but I would say physical, getting ready, rucking, running, push ups, sit ups, all the body weight stuff, um, and nutrition. Just make sure you're eating right and not pounding beers at night, just, you know, getting ready and just, I don't know, keeping, keeping your head clear. Cause it's going to be a, it's a grind. 
and that's all I really have on that. <laughs> I would say uh, one of the some some habits that I've instilled in my life is when I wake up, I drink a 16, 20 ounce glass of water because I, you kickstart your metabolism, get things moving. Um, I also do caffeine in the morning, typically fasted. I usually don't eat until lunch, and then I get used to operating, going to the gym, running, um, being fasted. Because in the military, you're not going to have the opportunity always to eat before you ruck, before you run, before you do an event. And so you might have to to operate off of uh, depleted glycogen in your liver store. So you got to get used to that. Another habit that I have is we used to call it Solid 7 in the Q course. Like when I was in Small Unit Tactics or Robin Sage, is if we could get seven hours of sleep, that's optimal for performance. And anything around that is good for you to be able to operate. You start declining in your performance uh, the fewer amount of hours you, you get a night. And I hate these influencers who talk about like, yeah, I don't ever sleep. Well, if you don't ever sleep, you're just destroying yourself uh, and, and really for no reason. Because if you can't task, organize, and adjust your life properly or accordingly, um, that's probably on you. Like if you're spending, you know, six hours in the evening watching Netflix, that's a bad habit. So get used to getting in bed early so you can get up early and start training. So I hope that helped a little bit. What do you recommend for the first mods for a mobility platform? The very first mod I recommend, look, I, I understand that a lot of people aren't going to be able to get uh, these extended fuel tanks. And we're about to install one on a JK that we have. It's it's the Philcraft JK. Um, it's made by a company called Long Range America. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not expensive. It's not crazy, but it's, it's fairly expensive. Um, but the fuel tank... And, and or tires would be my first modification. Your tire and the correct, the, the proper tire and the proper pressure of tire will set you up for success no matter what vehicle platform you're running. Um, I recommend Falcon, Falcon tires. I'm a big, huge fan of Falcon tires, especially their off-road series. They're all-terrain threes. They're AT3Ws. I run on my truck. I also have the MTs in 35 inches on my uh, new JK. But yeah, tires for sure. And then the next step would be extended fuel tank. Um, Outside of that, survival, first aid, those are staples. You have to put those inside the vehicle, outside of the the actual uh, modifications on the vehicle. Would you recommend rally points for Liberty lovers in the event of a grid meltdown? Uh... Would you recommend rally points for liberty lovers in the event? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I just read that weird. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I recommend rally points um, for anybody. If you are thinking about survival and preparedness, uh, you have to think about a social network and the, the coordination that, you, that would take place in order for you to be successful. So if you have a friend who has a ranch, then yeah, you might want to give them a call every once in a while and just say, hey, combo check, if things hit the fan, is it okay if I come out to the ranch and just bring the fam? Absolutely. Well, then that's what you're going to, that's your go to hell plan. We used to call it black and gold, which is our go to hell plan. Like black, we would go to the west, 500 meters, link up at a hilltop. Uh, gold, we go east and then you know link up in a ditch 500 meters away. So have your rally points and then pre-coordinate them as part of your preparedness plan. What made you want to become a Green Beret rather than going back into the infantry? Well, man, I mean, look, there's nothing wrong with the infantry, but as a Green Beret, you're just afforded more opportunities in training and operations. And so, you know, for me, 
Um, I wanted to be in special forces and that was the plan. And so I wanted, I looked at the infantry as a way to get experience, which I did, and then move on from that and then uh, settle in special operations, which I did. Any advice to someone who's recently getting out of the military service to go into law enforcement? What do you got? Uh, I guess it all depends on how comfortable you are in your location where you're at. Because obviously law enforcement, you can stay at home and still serve your community. But in the military, you're... You, you're gone. You know I mean? You're, you're going to basic. You're gone. You're going to AIT. You're Did gone. Did you hear the question? <laughs> no. <laughs> Any advice to someone who's recently getting out of the military to go into law enforcement? Oh, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think, I mean, yeah, go, go for it. It's a good idea. And I would say do your research on, you know, when you transition into the civilian life and then how long it takes to get into the academy. So you're not basically, you don't have like a, um, a law in your your time that you want to your downtime, I guess. And uh, but I think it'd be a great idea. I mean, if you have nothing going on, then yeah, why not? <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> if you have nothing going on in your life, yeah, yeah at least get, look. I, I will tell you, uh, training cop for year, training cops for years, police policing as a um, a career field is a difficult job, and you're underpaid, you're overworked undercompensated and you're treated like shit by this by society yeah. the most of society uh, but inside your organization inside your um your friends and family there's a lot of support i've seen a lot of support for leo i will tell you from personal experience that the transition from the military into law enforcement depends on the agency you have good agencies out there that institutionally are progressive they're always uh you know developing and growing and and there's there's bad uh, agencies that suck that operate off of you know institutional legacy. Just toxic. Just toxic. Toxic environments where people are are shit bags. They don't want to evolve, and they have a real skewed view of what I think progressive policing means. Um, look, I have a I have actually a, a second degree in criminal justice. I have a bachelor's degree in criminal justice, and when I when I studied law enforcement and looked into the history before uh, I almost went into the FBI, I realized that there's a lot of things about policing that a lot of institutions now don't really understand. Um, and yeah, that's a different topic, but altogether it depends on the organization. I know there's some good organizations like LA, uh, Orange County, is a good organization to work for. Um, the state of California Highway Patrol, good organization to work for. Uh, the Texas Rangers, I, I know Texas Rangers, big shout out to John, a uh, great organization to work for. So it just depends. Uh, considerations while driving to avoid or defend against urban gun attacks. Considerations while driving to avoid, defend against urban gun attacks. Um, well, there's, there's basic defensive maneuvers that you should know. One of those is a J-turn. Uh, a J-turn is a, a uh, defensive maneuver to break contact away from a potential threat. Uh, the general premise of it is you reverse, and then as you reverse, you're stomping the gas. So you want the front nose to dive, and that transitions all the energy, obviously, on the front hub, or the, or I'm sorry, over the front axle. And then uh, as you gain momentum or speed, you let off the gas. And when you let off the gas, there's a transition of power that you're going to take advantage of. As that transition of power goes from the front to the rear of the vehicle, you're basically going to hook 
the uh, steering wheel from 6 o'clock to 12 o'clock. Uh, you're basically going to turn it out in any one direction, uh, left or right. And you're not going to put on the brakes. You're just going to uh, decelerate by getting off the gas and then smashing the steering wheel to the left or right. And that's going to take the whole front end of the vehicle in timing, using momentum to the front. As it's coming around to the front, you're going to put it in drive, and then you're going to be on the gas in order for it to recover. That takes practice, obviously. That's not that easy uh, to do as easy as I said it. Um, but that's one of the things that is a staple for us and um, special operations to learn for evasive maneuvers when trying to defend uh, or avoid a potential gunfight. Um, advice on being pulled over while legally carrying a firearm. George, that's you. So here's what I do, and I've been pulled over a couple times since I've gotten my concealed carry, is when I get pulled over, I immediately put it in park. Um, I have my – so. People use these excuses, I think, where, you know, you're driving, you're sitting on your wallet, your insurance card is, or your registration is in your glove box, and yada, yada, yada. But I look at it as, as if I'm driving with a concealed carry, um, I have, like, a additional, like, duty to myself and to my safety and whoever's in my car is, you know, have everything available, ready available, put it in your visor. But when I get pulled over, I put it in park, I, I roll my windows down, um, I take my wallet, my keys, my paperwork, I put it right on top of the dash, and I keep my hands on the wheel steering wheel. Obviously, when the when he runs the plate, he's going to know you have a concealed carry. So you have your hands on the steering wheel. When he approaches you, you say, hello, you know, whatever. I have my gun Greeting here. Greeting of the day. Greeting of the day. I have my gun on me, or it's in my uh, passenger seat, or, or wherever it's at. You you locate it, and then he's going to ask you to step out the car, whatever he does. And let him, and, you know, get out of the car. If you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to worry about. And then he'll, you know, check you, whatever, and... You know, you just play it safe and have some respect, and uh, it usually goes good for you. So clear, concise communication always works. Yes. That, yeah, not not hiding it, just communicating it, and then just being calm. Uh, I get nervous when I get pulled over. I do too. Place. I just don't like it. Yeah, I just don't. Man, it's look. I don't. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just something that I grew up with. But when I was a kid, cops weren't exactly. Maybe it was because of the culture. weren't exactly friendly to kids. To you know, to me, growing up. Uh, I work with law enforcement all the time, and you know we have lots of friends that are law enforcement. But um, it's it. I, I still get nervous. So be calm, and then you know obviously follow uh, the guidance from the the police officer. Obviously, um, advice on basic carbine scope setup. Yeah, it depends on what the gun is. If you have a sh- look, if you have a gun that you take out on an on. Uh, on hunts, for example, then you want a variable optic. You want something like one to six and a half, one to eight. You want the ability to take advantage of the capability of that gun, which is typically 500 plus meters. I would say anywhere from 500 to 800 meters, you're safe. It's like point, uh, the, the maximum point range of a uh, 5.56 is about 550 meters. So somewhere around there, you, you want to be able to positive, positively identify the target. So... Um, yeah, that's the, that's what I have to say about that. Um, a micro T an aim point, whatever it is, a red dot optic, uh, then yeah, if you don't, if you're not intending to go out and reach out with distance, then any micro T, uh, the vortex, what's that vortex optic that we have? The razor, the razor holographic, the, the, it's like the razor holographic site. Yeah. The holographic. It's a great, great scope. you like that, right? Yeah. I can't wait to, uh, well, I've used it. 
once and I can't wait to use it again. You ever work with the Polish Grom? No, I have not. I work with a Polish PSYOP. Yeah, I've worked, I, I've worked with the Grom on something. I can't remember what it was, but it was just a joint op. They're, they seem to be squared away. Um, selected volume two DVD, probably not, just because the cost for the volume uh, one, we have, still haven't sold out of vo- volume one. We don't really advertise it a lot, no. but it's expensive. I mean, that to yeah. get that DVD done costs a lot of money. In a big city, would you wait it out before going or try to leave right away? It depends. It depends on the disaster. It depends on the situation. It depends on your capability. If I have a motorcycle, for example, or an electric bike, I'm getting the hell out of Dodge yeah. as soon as possible. If I don't, let's say you just have a Toyota Corolla and you, and you know traffic is going to be is going to slam the uh, the roads. If you can get the up uh, by by moving out as quickly as possible, then take advantage of that. If not, then just hold what you got and try to take uh, advantage of the opportunities and windows to escape. I would also say that don't necessarily think about your vehicle. If you have to, and you know the roads are shut down, and it's a tragic like earthquake that kills a lot of people, and you know there might be secondary waves of uh, tremors or earthquakes that might uh, potentially harm somebody, get on foot, pack out a bag or have a pack a bag pre-packed, get that bag on your back and and move, start moving, start start separating distance. Uh, in time away from that that uh, issue. What do you do to overcome fear in the moment? What do you do, George? Um, I kind of, I try to relax. And do just you poop your pants? Stay calm. Yep, you poop. Uh, maybe a little little, little little shark might come out. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not real sure. But I I kind of try to stay calm every, during any like situation that's going to like elevate or get out of control. Just the calm one in the room is the guy that you want to be around. That's what I always heard. So... Mm-hmm. I try to be that person sometimes. I just stay calm and not make it a big deal. Yeah, you got to breathe. You got to communicate yeah. to yourself. Um, how's the book coming along? It's coming along. Three chapters in right now, nice. and I'm proofreading and refining. That's about 60 pages. It's hard, man. It's hard writing a book. So I haven't put a real time, definitive timeline. I just want to do it right. My goal is by the end of the year to have that out for you guys. It's a mindset book, and it's going to be a short pamphlet. It's going to be like 150 to 200 pages. Issues experience with pistol at Laramie, Wyoming class. Um, issues experienced with pistol at Laramie, Wyoming class. Um, issues experienced with pistol at Laramie, Wyoming. What? Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Issues experienced with pistol at Laramie, Wyoming. So I did have issues with a pistol that had a uh, large paddle for the magazine release. And so it, to me, if you, if you run a Glock and you have man-sized hands... And you're putting that on on that gun, and especially firing from position to position laterally. When you're doing that in movement, your hand's going to shift slightly on your on the uh, on the gun depending on the angle that you're taking. So yeah, you can, uh, like I did, drop the magazine inadvertently like three times, and then I swapped it out for my Triarch. No issues whatsoever. So it, there's a there's an extent to where it can help you out or impede your ability hmm. to operate. And so if you're in a gunfight and your hands or are, are uh, mashed over that gun, you shouldn't be having to worry about dropping that magazine. Yeah. I mean, it's literally where your palm goes. And then the paddle was like, on this particular gun, on a Glock 17, it's half an inch high. Huh. It just doesn't make any sense. Anyways. That uh, Triarch, though. That Triarch's money. Um, I'm a big fan of Triarch. If you go to TriarchSystems.com, 
uh, Triarch is T-R-I-A-R-C systems.com. Uh, we just got their truck guns that we're, we're going to be um, um, uh, testing and running rounds through to see how reliable they are. Uh, we had their Glock 43, their Glock 19, their Glock 17, and they're amazing guns. Mm-hmm. I love them. They're like beasts. I mean, they just beast. go and go. It's just no, I mean, I don't think we've had one. Not one. Not one failure, not one misfeed, not one misfire, nothing. Not one. What do you, uh, we got a coupon code for for uh, Triarch Systems. Yep, it's Fieldcraft. Fieldcraft, one word on TriarchSystems.com. Yep. Big shout out to Triarch Systems. Yeah, man. they're great dudes. Um, I get anxious in larger crowds. Any tips on dealing with that? Yeah, you want to, I think inoculation, like a plan, a deliberate plan of starting small, like going into a restaurant and then upping it and then getting used to um, the crowd and conditioning yourself is one mm-hmm. one tactic. What do you think, George? Same here. I mean, if you're not used to crowds, I mean, obviously avoid them if you can, but if not, just stay calm. I mean, just look just know, know your, you mean, 360, your surroundings, where you're at, where if you get into a situation, find an escape plan or get somewhere where you you feel safe. But, yeah, it's kind of unavoidable if you're going to go to, like, any festivals or any, any big gatherings for any event. So I would just say just have a plan going in and just um, and just relax, breathe. Absolutely. Um, favorite tattoo care? Uh, look, Lock Tat Co., uh, so L O C K T A T T C O, Lock Tat Co is actually what we use for our tattoos because uh, it's like basically the best uh, cocoa butter that's on the yeah. no, no, man. I tell you what, it it we have the lotion or the I don't want to say like the butter or whatever, and then we have like a it's like a I don't want to say a, uh, it's like another layer of. I forget what it's called. It's next door, but you you put these two things on, and it's like your tattoos just. Shine, pop, and shine. Yeah, it's crazy. Like real good. Is it too late to go for SF in your thirties? Never. No, you are in your prime. Man. Yeah, you don't understand that, man. I wish I can get back. I wish I can be thirty again. What? What I don't really like. I don't understand this thinking. Like the average age of senior operators and senior units is in like, the in the high thirties, yeah. low forties. Yep. And so, what people don't understand is like you are in your conditioned physical prime in your thirties. Uh, you reach muscle maturity, you 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 have better endurance, and you're smarter. Mm-hmm. I had a 42-year-old guy when I had a team in 19th group that graduated the Q course, and now he's a badass dude doing you know operations, combat ops, uh, big shout out to Rob, downrange, and kicking ass. It's like, dude, you, you are young. You are a baby in oh, your 30s. And, and they're easier to work, like older like dudes that come in off the street, like older guys, they're so much. It's just they're more mature. They you, you can trust them more. It's, I don't know. I had a good time working with the older dudes and and our unit. So yeah, I I just don't I don't get that. And I, I appreciate the question, but just man, yes, yeah, take yes. advantage of that. Go take for advantage it. of it. Crush it. How much ammo do you keep on stock uh, at all times and then recycling through? I would say a minimum of a base load, uh, seven mags of M4. Uh, four to six mags of uh, pistol, and the list goes on. You know, like you can never have enough ammo. To yeah, me. yeah, you just can't have enough ammo. And as long as you keep it stored right, you don't have to recycle through. Yeah, it. yeah, or just store it and recycle it, but just keep a lot on hand. Yep. I mean, my thing is like, if you go to Walmart and you buy fifty rounds, well, if you're going to shoot again, why not just buy five hundred rounds? Yeah, Make exactly. the investment, and then shoot and cycle through, so you have it, and mm-hmm. then you're using it. But when things happen and it, and things hit the fan, you have it on board. Um, how do you promote the preparedness mindset to the wife who's not on, on board? 
It's called a divorce, Seth. It's called a divorce. <laughs> now, you, you know, honestly, you have to make it interesting, man. Uh, one thing, one lesson that we learned at Philcraft is you can't take this alpha 2A approach to everything. It can't no. be like, if you're not on board, go F yourself. It's not, it's not like that. You have to make things interesting. You have to communicate uh, why it's interesting. And then you have to make the experience fun. I mean, if it, to, be, to be honest... All these tactical things that we talk about, all the preparedness things we talk about, if it's not convenient, you're never going to fucking do it. Mm-mm. It's why we made the inside the waistband tourniquet holder. I mean, it's not for concealing a tourniquet. It's for putting it somewhere where you're more likely to use it because it's convenient. Yep. And so that, that's important. And so uh, for your old lady who's not uh, on board... Uh, you have to be able to communicate and make it fun for her. Yeah, and start out small. Like, ma- make her a little med kit for her car, you know, and, yeah. and tell her, hey, this is, you know, put, keep this in the car just in case something happens. And yeah, I did it when I first started dating Sarah. Yeah. That's what I did. I put together a little IFAC for her. Oh, that's sweet. And she loved it. So That's cool. You know. And then uh, also on that, um, a lot of the times that what I experience is people don't listen to their spouse because – you know, I could be, you could be a subject matter expert in like the master of everything. And then your spouse is like, you're an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know anything. <laughs> I know who you really are. Um, but if you use your network or you have other instructors come in and teach your wife, that might be beneficial too. Cause then they might find a passion for yeah. it. Find a female instructor who's really good at uh, teaching and then, and then have them work with them. And that might, you know, ignite the, the flame. Um, should civilians have hazmat gear? I don't see why not. Um, I, I, I don't think my experience with hazmat is if it's really bad, you're going to die anyway. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. So Let's you're just be real. You can't, I used to love in the common core task of the infantry. One of the tasks was, uh, how do you react to a nuclear blast? And you grab your balls, you turn around and you lay on the ground. I'm like, okay, cool. That's what we're doing. Yeah. So you see the blast, you shouldn't look at it. And then you should turn away, grab your ball sack, tuck it, and then lay on the ground. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, but, but you're always butt forward. And I used to be like, <laughs> you have an axe wound in your ass, and you're gonna open it up to the you're world, suck all that, <laughs> suck all the radiation up. Oh man, so crazy. Um, what is your range belt setup like? Would you, would you use the same setup in a go bag situation? What do you think? Um, so I have a um, I, my tactical belt. I mean, I got a I got a condor, so I mean, but it it does the job. But I, you know, I have my mags, um, my dump pouch. My ter- my turner kit and a uh, a bleeder kit and a knife. I think that's about it. But so yeah, I would definitely put that in my go bag because I mean everything's right there. It's convenient. You put it on and you, and you go. So all right. So last question is, uh, do you like turtles? Yes, <laughs> I love turtles. All right, guys. Hey, that's all we got. We want to keep a little short. Um, it's about forty six minutes in. That's pretty short for a podcast. Yeah, for that's us. good. Hey, but we appreciate all the things that you do for uh, do for us and Phil Kraft Survival. We did post on Philcraft Survival and Philcraft Mobility our new upcoming courses. That's all the, everything from combatives to tactical combat casualty care on August 17 or August 18, two one-day courses. A long gun course July 20th. Um, we got the mobility course August 20th. We had a whole bunch of training, a whole bunch of opportunities yes. to learn. We even have free survival seminars coming up, even one that we're coordinating with 511 now to do uh, next week in uh, the L.A. area. So I appreciate all the support from you guys. PhilCraftSurvival.com. PhilCraft Survival on all of our social media. And yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, you that's, got anything, I, that's all I got. Jordan underscore Team PhilCraft on Instagram if you want to give me a, a little follow. <laughs> uh, that's my plug. But other than that, I like that, that's man. all I have. I like that. Okay, until next time. Stay alert. Stay alive. All right. Later, guys. <laughs> <laughs>